Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program. And today is my first program of 2024. I wish you all blessings uh, for 2024. And, you know, as, as they always say in different competitions, I wish you peace. Yeah, that there should be peace on our, on our very divided planet at the moment. My guest today is Shirley Snapper ex-South African. She's in Israel. She joins me from Israel. And our topic is unity, strength and resilience. And we dedicate today's program to the, for the safe return of all the hostages taken in the, the 7th of October massacre in Israel. And, and we also dedicate it to all the bodies that were taken and not returned, which uh, is um, just too difficult to even think about. And for everyone in captivity, we, we just want you home. This is dedicated to you and all our IDF soldiers injured and in battle who are fighting for Israel right now. Let me tell you a bit about Shira. First of all, let me tell you that Shira is my daughter. And she has a degree in political science and sociology. Um, she has been in Israel for the last 10 years. She has worked for Birthright, which is the Israel program, taking students around Israel. She was a, a madrich for the March of the Living, um, which is, what, what, how would you say a madrich? What is a madrich in English? Uh, like a counselor, leader. Okay. And with Rene Pozniak, so she's been to Poland quite a few times. She's taught Jewish studies and uh, she did a special course at Yad Vashem on how to teach um, Jewish studies at the Holocaust Center in Israel. And here she worked for B'nai Kiva, which is a youth movement. And unfortunately, when she was quite a lot younger, she and many other of us South Africans have had guns to our head. And she had a gun to her temple. And we had our gun, her dad and I had uh, guns to our temple at the same time at our head and we lay, had to lie on the ground. Now the reason why I'm telling you this is because did it stop her from still reaching out to other groups in South Africa? Definitely not. And I do believe this is something that we'll touch on shortly uh, when we discuss is, uh, South Africa taking Israel to the genocide court. I think, quite honestly, uh, the ANC needs to realize what we as Jews have done for our country. We teach our children to reach out to others less fortunate. We do not ever teach our children to kill or to hate. Hello, Shira. Welcome. How Hello, <laughs> I said to Shira, I was not going to introduce her as my daughter until the very end of the program. But she said to me, well, then how can I call you mom? So <laughs> which is quite true. Now, Shira said that there were certain things that she wanted to discuss. 
Cher, um, tell me, first of all, you were here in South Africa when the 7th of October massacre in Israel took place. Your husband, Jordan, said to you, stay here for another week with your children. And at the war will probably be over in a week's time. But in a week's time, there was no way the war was going to be over. And you decided that you were going back. And Dad and I certainly supported you in that choice, as hard as it was when we just wanted to keep you and your children safe here. But um, why, what made you want to go back? So firstly, I want to thank you for having me on your show. Um, it's so nice. I've never been so nervous to actually speak to you before. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's always I'm listening to you normally when I'm hanging up the laundry. So it's nice to be actually seeing your face and be able to also speak to you. Um, so to take to go back to that morning, um, I think that that is the nightmare of uh, all the Jews at the moment. And it's a nightmare of Israel every day we wake up and we we reliving it um, you know we say it's like it's another day of the war it seems like the 7th of October has never ended um, so that day started out like a normal Shabbat Simchat Torah and I was sitting outside and and my father um, came home from, from Shul and he said to me something terrible happened in Israel so it was a year of a lot of terror attacks so I thought okay it's another terror attack which is terrible uh, never in my wildest dreams that I expect to see what I saw on the news or, you know, um, or to hear what had happened. It was truly horrific. So obviously I'm Shomrei Shabbat. So um, thank goodness there was someone to turn on the television for me <laughs> so that I could see what And um, knowing my husband was in Israel and my, and his family all live, a lot of them live on the border. There's some in Sderot, which is right next to, to Gaza and others in Ashdod, Ashkelon, which were all very, very close. Um, so it was terrifying. It was really, I wanted to get on a plane that moment actually to return to Israel because my heart is always, um, is always here. Uh, my soul is here. You know, it's, we always say we don't have another country, but it's not, it's beyond that. This is our land. This is holy to us. It's embedded in everything we do in all our, our Torah, Bible observance and everything. Um, so I wanted to get back. I wanted to help. I wanted to see what I could do to help to help ease pain. And it was very, very hard for me to to stay in South Africa. Although obviously it's hard for me to leave family. Um, it was a, I was devastated to have to wait an extra week to get on the, the plane. Mm. And once you got home, did you did you rec realize that the atmosphere was one of mourning in Israel? Um, so I must be honest that um, I think from the moment I heard the news, it was almost as if I went straight into a depression. I, I couldn't stop crying. Um, obviously, I had to hold it together for my children, so they didn't know, they didn't feel as much of the terror. I explained it to them in, in the ways that they could understand, um, and that obviously that their dad was okay, and always that that God will protect us. Um, you had to do that because was, everyone else here was listening to the news all the time. So you had to yeah, actually explain have, to the kids. Yeah, and we have Israeli cousins that um, are serving in the army, not to hurt anybody like the South African government think. Um, but, you know, we're concerned about everybody. Everybody in Israel is like a brother or a sister. So it really, I've, I've suffered from depression before, and it really felt like a deep, deep depression. And when I got back um, to Israel, that is what the country felt like. It was 
in a state of panic and anxiety and just despair. Mm-hmm. You know, it was mm-hmm. as if, even if you didn't know anybody. Um, unfortunately, we we do know someone who is uh, who is a hostage. But um, even if you didn't know anybody that was hurt, or it it felt like it was your brother, your sister, your family, and um, to this day, it still does. Mm. And you know that's something that's very special about Israel. Um, they all it's if you even if you look at the IDF, it's a people's army. So everyone knows someone who is in there or has been injured. And uh, I think the the horror that be, that the, became what happened that Israel and the diaspora Jews have been in a collective trauma ever since. And um, we're going to get back to that shortly. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on 101.9 Chai FM, and I'm back in the studio uh, with my daughter on the on the screen in front of me, Shira Lee ja- a Snapper, Anelisa Jackson, who is in Israel and telling us about uh, Israel and how it's feeling at the moment. Um, Shira, you actually wanted to tell me about war rooms. What are war rooms? But we'll so, actually, um, wait a sec, we'll get back to that. You got back and you noticed that everyone was involved in some way. What was it that struck you about that? Um, so uh, before we continue with that, I, I wanted to just say that uh, we have a concept in the Torah that every uh, person is like a whole world. So if you kill a person, you kill the whole world. So, so for us, when um, the soldiers have died or... Uh, these innocent civilians, uh, you know, that were hurt on the 7th of October, that w- so many worlds were destroyed because it was their uh, their future, if they were children, their future marriage, their future children, their grandchildren, all of those worlds were just destroyed. And we are, we have nightmares still. We live in a nightmare from the Holocaust, from mm. the Shoah. And when all of those, and we're starting to rebuild, and now this has happened. So... Um, that is also the collective sense of um, responsibility to keep our nation together and also the collective sense of pain that we all have. Um, so when I got back, um, I saw that all there was so many WhatsApp groups going on. I, I live in Ranana, but I know it was happening all over the country that um, people were collecting food for the soldiers. They, they were collecting um, clothes because now we in winter. So they were collecting socks, anything warm, little sweets, gummy sweets to send to them, letters from children that they even stuck on their tanks. Um, There were also different groups that um, they set up to to go and do barbecues, to go to bras for the soldiers. So when they were training before they went into Gaza, that they could have a little bit of of light and uh, some yummy food, not army food and... uh, they had some music for them, and um, and then while they were serving, when they came out uh, for a little bit to their bases, they were also doing um, barbecues, and these were sponsored by people all over the world to help, uh, you know, just bring some strength to them. And you know, on a on quite a humorous note, 
Um, I read an article the other day about a, a, sol- <clears throat> a soldier in the IDF had come out of Gaza and um, his mom opened his satchel to take out washing and everything and in it she said she didn't recognize anything that was actually in his backpack because there was a beanie that had been knitted for him there was a scarf that someone had knitted for him there were socks there were long johns there were vests all things that she knew that he hadn't had before but they were all given and uh, she said it was actually just so lovely to see even knowing that those beanies and those scarves were knitted with such love and care and I think that is the resilience you have mentioned before that one of the biggest things that you have recognized in Israel is the resilience of people and Victoria Erickson says, resilience is silent and deep, like roots. It doesn't announce itself. It doesn't explode outward. It doesn't fall. It doesn't break. It simply always is, and you are. And I thought that's so typical. That, that typifies the Israeli and the strength of the Israelis. It's true. I mean, there was a, a beautiful song that I'd sent you, the lyrics, which was, you know, that um, it spoke about the pain that everyone was going through and that we all just need a, a moment to catch our, our breath. But what happened is, is that within catching our breath, there was no time. We wanted to help everybody, all the politics and all the lack of unity in an instant disappeared. And that's why when people ask me about, you know, what's going on in the war, and I, I always to say all the hard things and, and often I'm brought many times, as you know, to tears about um, the pain of the situation. But the fact that there was so much healing that also came from this moment. And that's something that whenever with any dark cloud, we also have to be grateful for all the healing. And um, and now we see a lot of, as we all, uh, it's known as Achdod, unity. There's so much unity, it doesn't matter if you were ultra-religious or you were um, not religious at all. Everybody all of a sudden saw we, we were attacked as Jews and we, were, we, have, we have to all be together and, and help each other. And that was the resilience and, um, and it happened in an instance. Mm. And that was so beautiful to see all the different sects of Judaism coming together, helping in whatever way they could, uh, whether it was handing out yarmulkes or um, tefillin, uh, uh, which are the phylacteries that men wear. Um, it was wonderful to see. I'm on many groups with Shira that I've, I've seen all of this. Now, tell me about war rooms. So the war rooms, I forgot the name in Hebrew right now, so, but it's okay. <laughs> so war rooms were um, people set up their own little war room. So it wasn't, uh, you know, to start a war. <laughs> it, what it was, it was to collect, to collect things for the soldiers. Um, there was some, some girls who were like 18 or 18 and a half years old that some of their friends were already on a base in the north or in the south. And so they sent WhatsApps to people saying, please, they've asked for socks or they've asked for, for food and um, they need vests or something like that. And so they started their own little war room of collecting these things, packaging them and taking them down to the bases. Mm. Um, and that's the shul that I'm a part of here. has has their own little war room that we package different things. Um, and that, that was um, that's incredible that this was the initiative of people. Absolutely amazing. 
And you've also, uh, you showed me a photo the other day and you said, Mom, you would love to be here. They were all people of about my age. And, uh, <laughs> and you said everyone was doing something. Was it? Yes, so even, sorry, uh, either, even um, there's a group called Sarel, if anybody's ever interested in uh, joining it. And it's for volunteers who, who come at any age. It it's often is for more senior people. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> nice way of they, putting it. Yeah. <laughs> and they go and they pack um, the help in the bases, in the army bases. You even get to wear a uniform. And uh, someone I know who's in her 70s was, goes and spends a week, a month on the bases. Wow. And helps whatever she can. You don't have to speak Hebrew. Um, it, it's just helping, which we need. And the other thing which I wanted to mention is what some people even went to the bases and set up a, a laundromat there. So people were doing the laundry for the soldiers who obviously don't have time and don't have enough uh, um, clothes to wear. So they, they're there and they're doing laundry. They're people doing haircuts for the soldiers or shaving them. Um, and also there were a lot of Haredi people, the ultra-religious people, that decided they wanted to show that they were also participating. And so they did these barbecues in the different bases and they went on purpose to a base that was just women to show that they were also supporting the women soldiers. Isn't that fantastic? And, eh? and also a lot of the restaurants, the unkosher restaurants in Tel Aviv, decided to, to make their restaurants kosher, to make food to send down to the soldiers so that mm. every soldier would be able to eat. Isn't that amazing, really? And, um, you know, I also noticed that there's a lot of singing and um, singing is just so healing. Uh, and music is so healing. And I, I, I've seen that well-known singers are going to different places. And my friend Les Glassman was telling me today that one really a well-known singer had gone to one of the Shiva homes to go and sing. And it's just quite amazing what people are doing. If you would like to join us on this conversation or you have any questions, please SMS us on 34519 or telegram us on 061-895-1019. You're listening to Chai FM 101.9. Now, Shira, the other thing I wanted to mention was that you you left here when, about 10 years ago, but before that, you yourself have resilience because... After we were held up like that, and I really think that this is something that our South African government need to take into account while they're taking Israel to genocide and also the fact that they're not really supporting us Jews in South Africa, that every single person in our family have reached out to others less fortunate, no matter what the color, the culture, and helped each other. And... I would say that most of the initiatives that have been started in South Africa, many of them have been started by Jews. Even Nelson Mandela, in his long walk to freedom, as Les was saying to me today, Les Glassman, he actually mentioned um, the Jewish support that he had in, in his book. And I think we need to remember that. You, um, the other thing that South Africa needs to remember is our incredibly painful xenophobic attacks here now you had you were young you had already been held up made to lie on the floor with guns at your head and yet there was a xenophobic attack it was winter and it was freezing freezing 
um, the the people being attacked were rushed into Germiston City Hall. You and and a whole lot of B'nai Kiva camp uh, uh, participants, you all of you who were in charge of B'nai Kiva, and Habonim, well, the other Jewish day camp, all got together, also working together for the betterment of people less uh, privileged. And uh, that night, they were moved to a camp, all the the people who were facing this xenophobic violence and um, they were you and and the others went in you went to go and get the children it was dark it was freezing you went to go and get the children to bring them out to the doctors without borders to so that they could get some help now these are a group of jewish young uh, uh, people you must have been 18 19 at the time and all of you went in. You put your own fears aside, went in in the dark with torches to f- bring those little children who were ill out to be helped. Would you say that you, in your, your own soul, no matter how you might be scarred, you will never give up the love of helping others? I think that that's it's i would say that for myself but i would say that for every israeli and i would say that probably for every jew it's it's part of our culture it's part of our our bible to to not teach hate to teach um that we celebrate life we don't celebrate death that when you know when something is dangerous and it was very dangerous for me to go into those camps but it was very important to go and help because i couldn't stand by and let people suffer um and you know israel has so many times been accused of causing a genocide in 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 gaza and that to me is such a misinformation it's such it goes against everything that israel stands for and every rule that we follow in the terms of the rules of war um, the people who were hurt in in, in the kibbutzim especially in kibbutz Be'eri, they were ones who went and took the sick children out of gaza to come and get treatment in israel and uh, you know, for cancer, the kids had cancer, and they came to get treatment in our hospitals here. Those were the ones who were killed, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. a lot of them were turned on by people that they had themselves helped. And despite all of that, we don't cause genocide. We warn every time there is an attack. We warn in great danger to ourselves and to our soldiers. We warn them, and we try and help them. And um, even the soldiers who are in Gaza now, they try and help wherever they can and to ensure safe passage. So it's inbred in us, and it will never be something that can be broken, no matter how much we have been hurt. And And I think that's something that the BDS in South Africa and in the world needs to realize, that we all help, and that the Jewish Jewish businesses in South Africa are the ones that provide jobs, that provide help. Um, Discamp does so many outreach programs for the, the different communities, and unfortunately, they were very heavily targeted by BDS. And the world needs to wake up and see the truth. Absolutely. Many, many Jewish businesses were targeted. And if you actually look at those Jewish businesses that have been targeted, they were all businesses that reach out to others and, and help others. Um, now, there was one um, man in particular at one of the... the um, one of the kibbutzim that were hit, that he he actually 
used to teach the kids, get them together to play soccer and the, the children, the Palestinian kids with, with the other children, with the Jewish kids on the, in the kibbutzim. Tell me about what do you think about um, Israel being called an apartheid state? Give me your own experiences of that. I think it's a, an utter lie. I think it's an excuse for the world to hate us. Uh, you know, you say apartheid and everybody, even if they don't know anything about apartheid, they know the words and they think, oh, wow, if Israel's that, well, they must be condemned. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, so it's, a, it's, it's an scapegoat for, for different groups of people. To, it's a new form of anti-Semitism. Israel has always had a policy of incorporation that it doesn't matter, even in our, our founding documents, that it's a place for everybody to live. Doesn't matter if you are Palestinian, uh, if you are Jewish, if you are Christian. This is a land for everybody to to live in. If we can live in peace, so you know everybody talks about the settlements or the the so-called occupation of Gaza. Gaza was given back; it was handed complete control to to the people, Palestinians living there. And unfortunately, Hamas was voted in, and now they are lived. They are occupied by Hamas, and mm. Israel. This war is a basically a war to free them also from Hamas, from the rule of Hamas. So, and also in the settlements, these are places that Jews have always lived. This is a land that we've been in for thousands and thousands of years. And there's lots of people can look in different um, books and different history, and you'll see that this is the truth. And besides all that, you know, there's always was a cooperation between the Jews and the Palestinians. You know, Jews used to go into Gaza to the, I think it was into Gaza City or Khan Yunus, which is now a very big uh, terrorist hotbed. But they used to go and do shopping there because it was cheaper than buying stuff in different places in Israel. Um, also, yeah, in the West Bank, there were different cities. Yeah, the people used to go there, remember buying their bicycles there. And unfortunately, extremism took over in those areas. So the army has had to, you know, may take measures which can seem like apartheid to an outsider, you know, having checkpoints, which, yes, it makes lives difficult, let's say, for the Palestinians and, and for the Jewish people living in those areas. But it's for the safety of them and for us. And um, and that's you know the unfortunate reality. As Golda Meir said, if who was a prime, she was the prime minister um, during the Yom Kippur War in '73. She said, if the Palestinians would lay down their weapons, there would be peace. If the Israelis would lay down their weapons, there would be nothing. Mm. We would have mm. nothing. So we don't want to fight. We are a nation that loves life. We are forced to fight. We want to. If you meet any soldier, they want to be with their children. They want to be learning. They want to be living, having a party, going partying like any normal college student. Mm -hmm. But we have to have a war. We have to have not a war. We don't want war. We have to protect ourselves. And there are no there are no rules like apartheid rules. We have there are educational, equal education. We share the same hospital hospital rooms. Like I, when I had my daughter, I shared a room with a, another Palestinian lady, and her family were coming in, and my family were coming in. And my mother-in-law, who speaks um, Arabic, even wish them Mazal Tov. <laughs> Actually, on so, that note, when I was sitting with your mother-in-law and she was chatting, there was the grand. Uh, we were sitting in the passage, waiting uh, to go in to come to come to you. And one of the the Palestinian grandfathers arrived, and he had just had uh, twins. His his child had just had twins. His daughter. And he came with this huge tray of biscuits and chalva and every, you know, all different things. 
and offered it to your mom-in-law Rachel and I and congratulated us and we were all sort of congratulating each other. It was a lovely feeling. But I also remember, Shira, that that night I came back very late again and I'd caught a taxi back. I was catching a taxi back to your place. And as I got out of the hospital, there was chaos going around. There was, seemed to be the, C, the CNN were there. There was these huge lights everywhere. And the, the entrance to the, the Sheba Hospital, just right opposite part of the Sheba Hospital, was the casualty. And, and uh, a, a, one of the Israelis, an Israeli man on the, had been killed, shot and killed. And on the one side, there was birth and celebration of Arabs and Jews, all of us celebrating together. And on the other side, there was this terrible tragedy. We'll get back to that. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on Chai FM 101.9. My guest today is Shira Lee Snapper from Israel. Shira is my daughter and we're talking about um, how Israel, in this tragic time since the massacre, they are finding their resilience, they are helping one another and it's quite amazing what they actually are doing. Shira, I wanted to mention also that they go to extreme lengths uh, for life and, and for the respect of life. Tell me about those, that car graveyard that's going to be. So there's a, a group of, um, mainly made up of volunteers, it's called Zaka. Um, it's a great charity if anybody wants to, to give to them. And they are, they are a religious group of people, the, the ultra-Orthodox uh, group of mainly men. And they are tasked with collecting the body parts. And when it was the second intifada, when there was uh, any of the bombs, they would go and collect the different pieces of what was left of people's bodies and to, to ha so they could have a full burial. Um, because that's part of our belief is that a body needs to be buried completely. And also, I, get, I think it brings comfort to the family. And so now with what happened, because of the utter devastation, these, the homes that the, the safe rooms that people were, were hiding in, or even if they were in the forests uh, of the Nova festival, their bodies were burnt and uh, not much was left. So, they, so these groups of people, the Zaka volunteers went in and collected ash, bags of ash, um, just like the Shoah. And, um, and through, they have to sift through those and to find uh, bones to and, and use it find it, and then through that they will you know um, do DNA analysis and they'll be able to see who are the missing people who was killed and it's a very hard and taxing job and they are very they are suffering so badly from post traumatic stress from what they saw um, but so with the car graveyard this was all the cars that were attempting to leave the Nova Festival, which was a, a peace festival, music festival, trance music, all young uh, people. They were there to have just a beautiful night of dancing. And uh, suddenly on the 7th of October, there were all these Seva um, Dom red alerts, you know, of the sirens and of the rockets. And because they were so close to the Gaza border, they knew they had to run. And so they tried 
there were about 3,000 of them, I think, in the, at the party. They all got into their cars and tried to leave to come more to the center. And they were ambushed along the way and murdered in their cars or burnt completely. So now what's happened is they've collected all of these cars and put them in sort of a, a graveyard. And they're still looking through all the cars for the evidence of the bodies and who's been missing and who's been killed uh, to sift through all of that. And there are, there are bags of ash. Um, right there so that they can sift through them and now what's being ruled by the the rabbis in Israel is that the whole cars have to be buried because they are smeared with blood and and parts of the bodies that they can't take away so it's the first time probably in the world or ever that they actually are go going to be burying a full car thousands and thousands of, of cars it's, yeah. it's unbelievable but look at those extremes but you know you talk about um the, the, the trauma also of, of what's happening in Israel and much of what's happened at the 7th of October massacre brought forward the ashes you're talking about, brought forward that, that terrible intergenerational trauma from the Holocaust, which is still there. And um, that has got to be dealt with. But in the meantime, the Israelis are getting on with living and helping each other and uh, supporting one another, which is it's, it's just amazing to, to see. Um, uh, but, uh, those were war sorry. crimes. Those massacres, that massacre of all those kibbutzim and the, and the, the festival, those are now recognized as war crimes that's what i wanted to say is also the sexual assault you know south africa is so concerned about what happened in you know what we're doing in in gaza they forgot about all the victims here and the war crimes that were committed against us the the acts of sexual violence against babies against women um i won't go into the details here because it's very very disturbing mm. but um, so never mind that they forgot what happened to us and the fact that I have to run to shelter often with my children and they are terrified. And um, you don't know, I've been walking to to people on uh, Shabbat and you, I've seen the rockets flying at us. Mm. You don't know where they're going to land and thank God we have an iron dome, but it's still traumatic and that's what the world forgets is that we also are suffering in Israel. It's not, it's not something to be taken lightly and just you know forget about what's happened to us. And South Africa should also pay more attention about what's happening in South Africa. There are rapes about every four seconds. What about all of those crimes against humanity that are happening in South Africa that need to be dealt with? The poor people in South Africa, they should not be poor. They should have access to education, to water, to medicine. Uh, open your eyes and focus on that instead Absolutely. of finding a way to hate us. If you want to join us in this conversation, please do so on 34519 or a telegram 61 um, I'm a part of many groups and my nursing group, someone on my nursing group actually wrote this the other day and I, she said it's, it was about uh, South Africa taking, um, uh, uh, taking us to the, the ICJ the, on genocide, taking Israel, accusing Israel of genocide. And she's not a Jewish girl, and she said, it's amazing. We are unable to deal with poverty, children drowning in pit lavatories, child and domestic abuse, illiteracy, unemployment, failing rail, road and transport infrastructure, porous borders, gang violence, corruption, 
grime and litter, a failing education system, failing health system, cronyism, incompetent governance. governance. But we feel we have a right to criticize and interfere with another sovereign country which has responded to an invasion and terrorist atrocities of horrific proportion. This government, the ANC, does not represent me. And then someone else posted on another group, how does one go about registering one's opposition to the international court application? If any of you know how to do this, please let me know. But those are what people who are thinking people are actually saying about this ridiculous attack on genis- about genocide for us. Now, are you going up south? I see they are taking um, people up south. Why are they doing that? It's because they've already started with uh, denying what happened on the 7th of October. Just like you have Holocaust denial, they've started to deny what happened to the, the 7th of October massacre. So people are going to show unity for the victims um, to see what happens and to stand stand with them and also to make sure that the world sees and never forgets. Mm. We said never again after the Holocaust and unfortunately it happened again in our own land. And um, so it's important for the world to see. As soon as I get the opportunity, I would like to go. I have very small children that are at home with me. Um, so that's a bit difficult. But as soon as I can, I will be there and I will definitely document it and share it. Um, the only thing is that I must admit that I myself have not looked at all the pictures of the atrocities. and I think it might stop me from going on with my own work. They were so horrific. And, mm-hmm. you know, and this is important, my, the fact that we can talk about it and get our voices heard out there. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. We're now going to be listening to a, a short YouTube by um, um, Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari. It's a short one, and it was done on the 6th of January. Three months ago today, on October 6th, Hamas in Gaza was preparing its forces to carry out one of the most brutal and barbaric attacks in history. the Hamas massacre of October 7th. On October 8th, Hezbollah, Iran's proxy in Lebanon, joined into the war started by Hamas. When Hezbollah began attacking Israel from our border in the north, Israel has been responding and will continue to respond forcefully to Hezbollah's aggression. Hezbollah is dragging Lebanon into an unnecessary war for the sake of Hamas. Hezbollah is seeking an escalation despite the unwanted destruction it could bring to the people of Lebanon, in addition to the unnecessary suffering it's already bringing to the people of southern Lebanon. And for what? For the sake of Hamas. Hezbollah is putting the future of the region at risk, all for the sake of Hamas. But here's something that Hezbollah and all of Iran's proxy should never forget. When it comes to existential threats, Israel regards every day as though it's October 6th, so that the Hamas massacre of October 7th never happens again on any one of our borders. 
We have a duty to defend our people, if not through diplomatic means, then through the force of arms. The diplomatic window may be short, but it's still open. To those dragging the region into an unnecessary escalation, our message is clear. The people of Israel, the people of Gaza, the people of Lebanon, and indeed the entire region, deserve a future of peace, progress, and prosperity, and not the death and destruction that Hamas and Hezbollah seek. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. I'm with Shirley Snapper. In Israel. She's in Israel, and I am here in Johannesburg, and Shira is my daughter. And there are a few messages that have come through from Carol Kruger. Morning, Sue. How wonderful to have you back with us again. Just love your program. What a privilege to listen to your daughter um, this morning. Thank you from Carol. Thank you, Carol. That's so nice of you. And then this, hi, Sue. It's Jill from Eden Glen here, an ultra-special radio show, listening to you and your daughter. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jill. Um, this um, this was Brett. Is that for me or that? No. That was okay. Thanks so much for those messages. If any of you want to actually go onto LinkedIn and pick up two particular people, uh, it's Hillel Fuld, uh, Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, Fuld, F-U-L-D, and his posts are amazing. And then there's a Yusuf Haddad, um, H-A-D-D-A-D, and he's a CEO of Together We Vouch for Each Other. He was born in Haifa, grew up in, the Na- in Nazareth, and he's an Israeli Christian Arab. Both their uh, podcasts and what they write on LinkedIn are really worth listening to. One of the things that Hillel said, and it's very much what we're talking about, Shira, he said, um, uh, if this war has anything positive to it, it's that it provides clarity and an answer to a question I've always asked myself. First of all, we now have clarity on who our friends are. And more importantly, who our friends are not. Listen to that, please, South Africa. And then he says, any human being who does not actively call for the total elimination of Hamas and the immediate release of all our hostages is not our friend. Staying quiet is not an option. You know, you mentioned that song and the watch and how the, the I think it was the middle part of that song which was so beautiful it says give me a moment to catch my breath when outside there's only dust and winds of war God have mercy on your people we will never stop praising you give me a moment to catch my breath when outside there's only dust and winds of war and Shira tell me about how you feel children are, are coping. You sent me a, a little video of you taking the children to school and to, to gun the nursery schools, and you were singing. What were you singing? So when we drive to, to gun to nursery school, 
because there's so much fear, um, you know, they hear an ambulance and they think it's a siren. We hear sometimes a motorbike, we think it's a, a siren warning us of motorbikes, of motorbikes, of, <laughs> of rockets. Um, so I wanted to also give them some hope and to bring some, some beauty back into their lives. So we sing music and there's been so many beautiful songs that have been published all this time. And they, they popped up straight away, like a month after or two weeks after the October attack. 7th of October attack and they were about the unity and about that the nation of Israel is strong when we're together and we're united and about that we will win and that we have God in our lives and and this is what we sing and we dance and we dance in the kitchen <laughs> and the kids <laughs> even my two and a half year old little boy sings along and um, but the, the kids are resilient kids in Israel are incredible they still laugh they carry on I can hear the school next door me uh, you know learning about scholar patrol but it's hard and it's, it's, uh, it's 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 quite amazing though what you're doing what everyone's doing i'm being told to to wrap up i wanted to actually talk about the the funerals and how everyone stands on the side in as a as the uh, funeral procession goes past with their flags on the sides of the road thank you so much shira for being with me on this program we will do it again but hopefully in happier times but just go on with your unbelievable resilience and all your friends' resilience too. That we have got a song, it's um, um, which you, Craig will put on. It won't be on the podcast, but you can hear it now. <laughs> 